What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Well, you silly fools are not crazy! This hysteria. You can't handle the truth! Truth! This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's a lie. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in, Hysteria Nation, to a very channeled episode of Hysteria 51. I'm your host, Brent Han, and across the metaphysical plane for me is the co-host with the most... God, I'm banging on all cylinders already this week, Mister uh, David Flora, sir. Welcome. I, I'm glad at least you didn't say the co-most. We, the co-most with the most that I had uh, the most, and I am alone in that. Uh, <laughs> what what's going what on, the most is, we're not going to get into, but you have the most of it. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I, I won't deny that. How's Colorado treating you? It's uh, it's getting to be mud season here. Oh. Um, so there's just like a Followed carpet by locusts. Of, of snow. <laughs> um, the snow is starting to melt. Nice. You can actually see some of the the roads and stuff. The um, the river out back here, you can see it flowing now. And nice, yeah. So it's warming up. How about you? I am enjoying slightly warmer weather. We had a couple of days of seventy, and now it's. Eh, you know, 30s and 40s again. 110. Yeah, yeah. But that's because we are broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, also known as Chicago, in a very quiet studio. Both the bots are with John uh, for his court-ordered visitation. Mm. Yep. I, I, I'm actually kind of surprised that he sued for visitation. No, well, the, the court ordered, as in ordered him to have visitation rights. He, neither oh. of us wanted them. <laughs> That's, That's how true. that works. Not even the state wants to deal with them. Uh, it's a, a burden, uh, I think, is what they the technical term they used. Victims of the system. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, well, it, when CBOT's involved, there's usually quite a few victims. Not to be confused with a victim, uh, we got a guest this week. <laughs> I don't know. I mean... You know, six of one, half dozen of the yeah. other. <laughs> Daniel Kozu is a comedy writer living in Atlanta by way of Chicago. He writes for Hard Times, Hard Drive, The Moth, and his own novel, Lingaria. Is that right, Dan? However you want to pronounce it is fine. (laughs) Also, he was in an improv group with Brent, so we all should feel bad for him. (laughs) Welcome, Dan Kosu. Hooray! Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. And now my... uh, Court-ordered uh, community service is taken care of. Yeah, so. yeah, that's how this works. So, well, as, <laughs> as long as I sign off on it, I think it's this. <laughs> There's a lot of legal stuff uh, attached to this uh, podcast, Brent. You well, me you know, we're talking out. about ghosts, so it's very serious. Very serious. <laughs> very metaphysically serious this week. Objection. Uh, I object to this. <laughs> uh, this is one, I'd send it to you, Dan, and I said, hey. Uh, what do you want to do? Here's some of the stuff we're doing. And you're like, I want to do this one. I ain't going to tell you, I wasn't really familiar with this one. Uh, David, you suggested this one. I ha- huh? Were you guys know, was I just the, the odd man out on this? I, I don't think I did suggest this one. I thought it was because you sent the paranormal <laughs> one. Spooky. Nobody knows how this got on the list. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> I don't think this was one of mine. Uh-oh. <laughs> Seabot. Well, anyway, uh, so it, it, this is an interesting. Have you guys familiar with this one though? Uh, before really going down this road, I wasn't. When you sent me the list, I saw a man murdered by ghosts. If I'm not giving too much away, and I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then when you you did a lot of research on this, and uh, when I started reading it, I do remember this from hearing something about this. Like a lot of this kind of. But that's kind of how I was too. And looking into this, I was like, I don't know that I remember this. Then I started reading and I looking into it. And I'm like, oh, I do know the story hmm. or the 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 idea of what happened to him. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. 
I look forward to remembering this, that of which I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to uh, meet Joe Fisher here. So Joe Fisher in a nutshell, this is his life. Picture, if you will, one Andrew Joseph Hilton Fisher. I wonder if it's those Hiltons. Probably not. Ooh. Speaking of Hilton, uh, so I was just talking to John. They did podcast movement last week. Keynote speaker was Will Ferrell. And then after the first night, they had a DJ for an after party, and the DJ was Paris Hilton. I'm like, 2005 is just vibing and trying to make a comeback with that whole thing there. And John sent me a picture. He's like, here's Paris Hilton DJing. I don't know. Wow. But yeah, so Andrew Joseph Hilton Fisher, Joe Finasty, uh, he's born on June 18th in the year of our Lord, 1947 in Bristol, England, not to be confused with Bristol, Wisconsin, home of the Bristol <laughs> Renaissance Fair. Huzzah! <laughs> uh, I'm sure their turkey legs are just as good, but quite a bit less sweaty when I'm eating them, uh, <laughs> if I had to say for sure. C- covered in dust. Yeah, just How, have you ever been to to that Ren Fair and not come home just like caked in dust? Uh, yeah, I, well, Dan, have you been to have you been to a Ren Fair or specifically that one? No, I've I've been to the Bristol one and but not since I was like a teen, probably. Okay, well, so as you guys know, it's always when it's a hundred degrees outside and you're wearing way too many clothes. <laughs> it's very dry, so you write, David. You just have this sheen of filth <laughs> over everything that you have. <laughs> So it's period accurate for the Renaissance. Exactly. Right. Yep. right. Exactly. <laughs> if if anybody's going, my advice is skip the turkey leg, get the mushrooms. Ooh. Find where they got the vat of mushrooms. It's in a guy in the back. He's in the parking lot. <laughs> his <laughs> name is, is like Moonchild. And he's got a big wizard painted on his van. You can't miss him. <laughs> That's right. Well, actually, Nothing calm else down. to do with the red. He's calm actually down. in like. Short shorts and, you know, a tank top, <laughs> but the wizard is on the van, so therefore he's part of the crew. You guys are forgetting one thing. We are in the parking lot at Ren Fair, so there's 19 of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of the This one has a teardrop mystique. window. Yeah, you're going to have to break that down a little bit further than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so we told you he was from Bristol, England, uh, old Joe here, but he didn't stay there long. His family moved around a lot. His pops was Harold Graham Fisher, who would later become a Baptist minister, but at the time was a padre in the Royal Air Force. Uh, So because of this, Joe attended, get this, 13 schools between the ages of 5 and 18. That's hard to imagine. Did you guys ever change schools when you were kids? No. No. Me either. Uh, I I remember the new kids coming in, but uh, that was never me. That's a school a year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I changed schools. colleges. I left because I was going to college with Brent, so I just had to leave. But yeah, well, other than that, that was cor- another court order thing. It's the di- <laughs> I hear they they automatically transfer your credits no matter where you're going. If that's the case, <laughs> it's called Brent's the easiest law. Easiest transfer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, it's really hard. You're right. That's 13 years from kindergarten through. Wow. To, yeah. So at least what's sad is there might have been years that he didn't, meaning that he did more than once some years. Who knows? Anyway, yeah. uh, back to his parents. Uh, they were both Christian fundamentalists of one way or another. We told you his father ended up being, um, becoming a Baptist minister. Uh, his mother claimed to have psychic abilities, which she suppressed because she was a Jehovah's Witness. How does a Jehovah's Witness and a Baptist minister not start the, a bad joke. You know what I mean? Like they just seem like <laughs> two sides of the aisle. On that I, yeah. And he's the minister. So you think like, especially if he was very devout, his, he would feel his wife needed to follow his, his beliefs. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's a woman. So <laughs> place. right. Listen, listen to me. Listen to the Baptist. <laughs> Joe, on the other hand, even from a, lo- a young age, he loved ghosts and the weird. And speaking of young too, it kind of he, he he was known for this. He went into journalism. He was hired as a junior reporter at the Staffordshire Advertiser and Chronicle in 1965, and he wound up becoming England's youngest news editor at the age of 22. That's a hell of an accomplishment. Wow. England, out of all of England. Yep, the wow. youngest 
the youngest for a for a new for a a paper. Yeah, and then he decided to hop over the pond to Canada in 1971. Uh, he became a Canadian citizen. Not then; it was in '82. But he went to Canada, loved it, and he went to work. He finds work for a subscription sales company for the St. Lawrence Center for the Arts. In fact, he, like he was so good at it that he won like a vacation and shit like his first year there. He was really good at like door to door sales or subscription or whatever. Anyway, he was the youngest salesman in all of Canada. <laughs> in all of the, <laughs> so the mistress of the news came a calling and he returned to journalism, uh, joining at the time the Mirror newspaper uh, as its police reporter. Before going to the Toronto Sun, become the top crime reporter there, covering Man. yeah, covering everything from mafia dealings to the sex slave trade, <sighs> which they did nothing about, but they sure did write about it and know about it. <laughs> <laughs> right? I love that this dude just climbs the corporate ladder wherever. Like he yeah. basically parachutes into a company and he's at the top of the corporate. Uh, I ladder think that we're going to learn as his life went on that was something that did him no justice because when he was young, everything he touched turned to gold and then mm. later everything kind of turned to shit and he didn't know how to deal. Um, Jeez Louise. Yeah, it's uh, for one way talk, or another. Talk about uh, a gifted kid going through school. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, he was no, author. Nobody. <laughs> no, <it's>, nobody else. <laughs> I'll just I didn't, take I didn't suffer that affliction, unfortunately. <laughs> Count your lucky stars, kid. <laughs> No one understands me. Uh, not to be confused <laughs> with Dan. He was an author, but this guy, uh, he's the author of eight books. Dan, are you just the author of one lonely book like some loser? One lonely book, oh, unfortunately. I wouldn't yeah. even put that on a resume. It's <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing. It's a liability at that point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, that, uh, like I said, he writes a lot uh, on – Stuff that's going on in his life, his travels, nature, and this whole journalism turned into being an author bug really bit him. He loved writing. Then a shift happened, a shift toward the paranormal shift in his happens. writings. Shifts happen. <laughs> so following the publication of his second book, Predictions, in uh, 1980, Fisher left his daily journalism job in 81 to concentrate on what was he going to concentrate on, David? What was it called? Metaphysical investigations. Sounds like the thing I've got a, a correspondence degree. In. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you know this. David has a. Uh, well, tell tell him what you have your degree in. Oh, it's it's a uh, a degree in astrology and parapsychology from the Stratford Career Institute. I'm so proud of it. I paid a lot of money for it. <laughs> I don't know if Sally Struthers has anything to do with it, but I like to pretend she does in the back of my Not mind. Not even Sally Struthers would touch this place. <laughs> <laughs> it was either that or, or uh, TV and VCR maintenance. and uh, <laughs> That was one of them. And gun repair. Yeah. Gun you, repair. Do you guys remember those, right? You remember those commercials? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those, and then right after that was the the Time Life Mysteries of the Unknown commercial. You're just <laughs> banging on all cylinders waiting for Unsolved Read Mysteries to come back on. Read the book. <laughs> um, so in 84, he published uh, two books. The first was a coffee table book on Toronto. Meh. Uh, the second was entitled The Case for Reincarnation. The preface in that book was literally written by none other than his holiness, the Dalai Lama himself. And so is this a sequel to the Toronto book? I assume you have to read the Toronto one first then? You don't have to, but you're not going to get a lot of the, the back and forth. What a That is a hell of an 84. Well, I got two books. One's a coffee table book, and the other was prefaced by the Dalai Lama. Um, and that's the year that he witnessed his first seance. And he well, said, that's for me. That's the life I want to go down. I would love it if, if <laughs> I'm explaining it. Can we check what year Beetlejuice came out? <laughs> that was probably my first seance I witnessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. He's a, uh, thank you, Michael Keaton. Well, I thought it'd been 88, right? Because he had just. Nobody's singing marimba here. What's going on? I know. This is not what I was expecting at all. Where's my shrimp cocktail? <laughs> um, <laughs> he co-authored another book called Life Between Life with Doctor Handbook for the Recently Deceased. <laughs> <laughs> this thing reads like stereo instructions. 
co-authored that with his Dr. Joel Witten in 86, and he received the Leask Award from the Spiritual Science Institute of Canada in 1987 for that. He uh, was the youngest spiritual scientist <laughs> in <laughs> Canada. It's the damnedest thing. Then he he published his magnum opus, let's say. his The the one that got him the most attention and also the one that worried a lot of people. And we're going to break all this stuff down. But he published Hungry Ghosts, an investigation into channeling and the spirit world in 1990. And that book was a culmination of five years of investigation and the claims of channelers and the mysterious voices that speak through them. And that is going to be a lot of today's episode. Over a million copies of his books have been sold in 22 languages. And then sadly Fisher died on May 9th of 2001 after falling from a limestone cliff in Elora Gorge near his home of Fergus, Ontario. Elora Gorge. I hope I'm saying that right. He was still very young in the grand scheme of things. And it's a very sad, uh, sounds like a life, you know, a full, but short life, right? Well, not so fast. Um, he was <laughs> filled with, uh, it, it, his life was filled with channeling, tracking spirit guides, what he thought were possible demons. And even his death is marked by suspicion. Uh, suspicion is in, did he have an accident? Did he commit suicide or was he wait for it? Murdered by ghosts. See, it's not just in the title. That's what we're talking about it. <laughs> Uh, we're going to break all that down after the break on Hysteria 51. Nation, what difficulties did you have with learning a new language in school or whenever you did it? Did you do it through textbooks or did you try to use some weird online thing? I know I took two years in high school and two years in college and I knew nothing. And that's because I wasn't using something like what we have been blessed to have as a longtime sponsor, and we use it, Rosetta Stone. They're the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop or as an app. And the reason why I enjoy doing it, it immerses you in the language you want to learn instead of just being silly drills and a class you can sleep through. <laughs> I definitely use it. I, I think it's really cool how they have the speech recognition program on there. It gives you the feedback on the pronunciation. Are you making fun stuff. of me because I can never do that? That's what you're getting at right now. That's <laughs> what it, it's like. What are you trying to do? Do it right. <laughs> uh, but it is really cool. They've got all kinds of lessons. You can do it uh, offline. You don't even have to be online for it. That is great because it's right there in your pocket or at your home and you can do it. You got 15 minutes. Let's go to town. Let's do it. You know, and mm -hmm. it's amazing value. Lifetime membership has all 25 languages available for any trips you need language in life. You need to brush up on stuff. Maybe you just met a girl or a guy or a non-binary and they're from uh, somewhere else, somewhere, you know, who knows? Well, if they're in the one of the 25, Rosetta's going to work for you and <laughs> you get lifetime access to all of that. And there is a 50% offer. So it is a steal. So don't put off learning language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Hysteria 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for that 50% off that I just told you about. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. A today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Dan, in looking back at your life and your travels, what were you probably the youngest to ever achieve? I'm sure there's something you can throw out. I was the youngest masturbator was... in my entire Boy Scout group. Damn it, you totally just stole my joke. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't steal your joke. I read your blog. That's a, that's a good point. <laughs> I was not good at anything as a child. I was so mediocre my entire childhood that I like, I and I coasted through it. Like I realized that if you could just be mediocre and kind of disappear, yeah. nobody would expect anything of you. And you can... <laughs> 
and I've rode that to 40 years old. <laughs> I realized at a very young age that, um, what? Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, ride it off into the sunset. I don't know. It is. This guy was a, an overachiever, it seemed like, or, or maybe he was just a really hard worker. And he's a, he was a fantastic writer. Uh, his books are on a lot of people. If you're into uh, new age metaphysics, channeling into these things, they are must reads. It's interesting. I wanted to say that really quick is I just happened to like look at, I was looking at the life of Whitley Strieber recently. Mm-hmm. And, and then you think of uh, L. Ron Hubbard as well. Like these are three guys who all kind of wrote fiction books first. Yeah. And then ended up like kind of twisting it into a yeah. uh, new age sort of quote unquote nonfiction. Right genre. now. So the difference is like, and I will say this, we're going to learn about with Fisher is he was writing about these things. He was at his heart, an investigative journalist. He spent okay. some time on this stuff. So, well, early life of journalism, let's, let's talk about that real quick. Cause you'll understand. So he moved about a ton and became the youngest editor in England's history at 22. Along the way, he fell in love with the idea of reincarnation. That's just something that he was interested in. And you also got to think, so he was born in 47. So right when he's become an adult, that whole new age, everything is, is, is coming on. And he felt like it was his task in life to bring the idea of reincarnation to the public and make them understand, make them understand that it was real. Cause he said, uh, ancients believed in it. Children between two and eight talk about past lives on the regular. There has to be more to it. He was uh, just a full believer that what we see is not the end, but the Christian and Jehovah's Witness ideals and things that he had been subjected to or subjected to isn't the right way, but that wasn't the end all be all in his mind. So he pursued it. We see people do that all the time. Have you guys known anyone that that falls down the rabbit holes of religion? Oh yeah, yeah. So I I worked in an office, uh, and the mother uh, had a child. I think he was about four at the time, and he was convinced that he had died in Germany as a Jew. Whoa! Uh, and I, I don't think he didn't know what the Holocaust was, but he could he would he could point to where in the hall, and this was a like pale redhead Irish kid from the South side of Chicago who some, but he would, he knew like, like his grandmother had died and he, there was something like, were you uh, the Jewish tradition? I think you have to sit in the room. Yeah. For seven days. He knew how to sit for Shiva. Like, and he was really upset that they weren't doing it, that she was just being buried. And this was like a four year old kid. And I, like, I don't understand the afterlife. I don't think any of us ever will, but that was one of the most, eerie stories I've ever heard because she doesn't believe any of that stuff. Nobody in the family does. And, but he was convinced like he, and he was convinced that he, he was a a Jewish person who had died in Germany and he was back. Like it was no big deal. So you said he was like a four years old. Didn't one day did he just forget about that stuff? Stop talking about it. I did ask her. uh, I can't like, I saw her a long later and, and yeah, he never, he just sort of grew up and never, never mentioned it again. They always say like after, you lose that over the time. So whether that's because you grow up and realize that you're just making crap up or you forget the, uh, the mysteries of the unknown that you were privy to. Yeah. There was a thing recently I was reading on, I forget where it was weird things that children say that have made people uncomfortable. And it was like a doctor. Someone was talking about like, they brought in their three-year-old, the the family had just had a new baby and they brought their three-year-old the three-year-old leans into the baby and he's like please remind me what god's face looked like i'm starting to forget and they're like i need to go check on someone's (laughs) pulse and i'm gonna leave the room kind of thing you know just like that weird stuff that they say you know children's talk about dying and they like you well you said you know the the holocaust things that they've never ever ever been privy to why would anyone even know what sitting shiva is let alone talking about kind of gives me chills to think about anyway. Um, he was an investigative journalist back to Joe and for better or worse, he treated pretty much everything in his life like a story that needed to be investigated fully. And his friends talked about that. Like he was, he was that guy. Well, is this, is this like, where did my car keys go? <laughs> and then he's got like a cork board with like, times and <laughs> suspects so he got into nature and then he goes and he starts walking and doing all this stuff and he ends up writing a book on it 
Okay. That kind of thing. He gets okay. into uh, being working for a newspaper and by 22, he's the editor. That kind of thing. Right. Like he's motivated. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can hear a lot of his friends and colleagues and loved ones and stuff talk because they did interview them for a few different shows because there's been a lot of, of, of stuff on him. He went into full research, though, of the woo-woo. I think that's the, the best way to say it, like the, this whole weird <laughs> stuff. They talked about him like he was a new age darling. He got into uh, Hinduism, Tibetan Buddhism, Gnosticism, Western shamanism, trans channeling, which was a big one. And these were all in the stew that he was cooking. He was he wanted to learn about if reincarnation was real. So he cast out a whole bunch of lines to see what he could catch. And so this was like late 60s or mid 70s, like right when this was hitting America. Right. Like really and he's hard. an adult. This is in the 70s and it's hitting the world. So he's in Canada at the yeah. time and it is popular. So along the way, he meets an Australian woman living in Canada who is a channeler. So what a channeler does is they go into a trance as a medium to speak to others. And I'm using air quotes. So this specific woman who they don't give her, they used a fake name. She's anytime that they did investigate this and they talked to her, she was always in the shadows and murder, you know, they didn't use her real voice. (laughs) She said she would go to sleep and then she had no memory of ever speaking to these people. That was just when she would go into sleep, she was able to go into a trance and channel and these others would speak through her. She would do this on Friday nights. People come to her house, they'd go into a trance and she'd let the spirits speak through her to those in attendance. And when I say speak through her, they spoke to a whole bunch of people uh, that were there and that were even there when Joe was there. And like her, they say her face would change, her voice would change everything. And there are recordings of this, which we'll even get into that a little bit. Um, enough to where they're like, it's very impressive if she was doing it, you know, just throwing her voice and stuff like that. If they had another language, if they spoke another language or had a, a dialect or a, any type of, of way of speaking, she would sound just like them. You know, oh, Hey, this is me. I'm, I'm Trevor from, uh, I don't Bristol. Know. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Bristol, England. Uh, I died in 1873 when my dad hit me over the head and I fell into the old shit shack out back. Oh, go England. I love the queen. You know, that kind of stuff. Real English, you know, Oh, Brent, you're back. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and scene. <laughs> I know. So Dan, Dave and I, we just did an episode on hypnosis and he actually went and he had a past life regression and stuff like that. But I don't know anyone who's ever had experience with channeling. Have you guys at all know anyone or, or ever talked to anyone who's done that? I'm trying to think. I don't think I have. I have. I've had my past lives read at like a street fair, but uh, that wasn't really channeling. They were right. telling me who I was, but no, I've never, I've never. Had anything like that happen to me? I guess you could say uh, old Linda Haley. Well, that's true. So I, I would say in a, its own way. So I, I've spoke to a couple people that do the that that um, that speak with with uh, spirits and things, but I've never had the channeling where they go into a trance. Then they're like, uh, "Tommy, it's me. I left my keys to the Dodge in the back porch. You don't have to, you know." And like, like supposedly, like these people are coming through them and speaking. Never that. Well, people yeah. were really bored before cable television came around, so they needed to fill that time. Well, that is true. But I tell you what, if some cat started speaking in an ancient dead language in front of me, I might stain my undies uh, if it sounded <laughs> realistic. That's just me, though. Um, so anyway, Joe. So he, he's there the first night, and the Chandler's doing it, and she's like, oh, Joe, Joe, I need to introduce you to someone. Uh, it's your spirit guide, Philippa. Philippa. She said, lived in Greece in the 1700s, as you do. She was a peasant who worked the fields, and Joe was a soldier who fought against the Turks, and they were lovers. They were lovers then. They had been lovers for over 17 incarnations or lifetimes. Aw. Yeah. But they couldn't get this one to line up. Mm, shame. <laughs> well, there's a there. she was now his guide looking after him from the non-material realm. Now, I read, and I couldn't figure out if... She had finally got it right, and he hadn't, like, maybe, like, you eventually ascend, and he hadn't ascended, or if, like like you said, she was just in a timeout. Um, <laughs> I couldn't figure that out myself. Uh, you would think, like, yeah, and start over or whatever. 
she was there, his specific soulmate. That's what it was. Why? Even forgetting that, why do so many people want to speak to random dead people? Is there comfort there in knowing that there's uh, more to life or is it just, I think that's what, yeah, that's what I would say. Is it it's, for sure? Oh, oh, they, oh, we're not done here. And maybe what I've done here will matter when I'm gone. I think that might be part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the whole knowing that there's more to eternity than, than nothingness is an important thing for a lot of people for one way or another. But this person was a random necessarily, right? I mean, according well, to no, I, right. So, but they went there just to talk to random people. And a lot of times their spirit guides come through. Sometimes it's just a spirit that wants to talk. Sometimes more, not as often you get a spirit guide that's like, I need to talk to you, Joe. Well, these spirits are just waiting in line, apparently, for reincarnation. So they have a lot of time to kill. So they want to talk to people. It makes sense, right? Right. What else you got to do? You know, I'm not. I'm not I ain't got to be at work. For, you know, <laughs> ghost work for another twelve hours. So I do like that she was a peasant and he was a soldier. Like it wasn't like, oh, I was, I was uh, the the queen of right. Egypt and you were a pharaoh. And no, it yeah. was, it was. I, I kind of enjoyed that aspect of it. That yeah, oh, it was Joan of Arc. Yeah, it was. Uh, they were nobodies, right? Yeah, Brent. This sounds like. Um, uh, freaking with spirits, right? What what um what hertz tone do I need to be able to talk to my spirit right. guide? Forty eight hundred hertz, please. <laughs> yeah, hack the afterlife. Yeah. Um. So he goes. He's he has this experience. He's like, well, that's interesting. I need to go back and go back and go back. He went back to speak with the Chandler and Philippa tons of times. In doing so, Joe tells his friends and family that he has fallen in love with this spirit, or at least the idea of his one true love that was now on a metaphysical plane, not here for him to do the hanky panky with. <laughs> you don't have to be lonely at made up woman.com types. Not nah, made up. Come on. <laughs> I'm that's, that's terrible. But he has, or he was very vocal about this to anyone that would listen anyone. And like with everything else he does, this starts invading into his writings and people found this very weird because Joe was known as his friends called him a ladies man. He was good looking. He was athletic. I was going to ask. Okay. He was your stereotypical good looking guy of the time, but he wanted something earth-based ladies couldn't give him. <laughs> <laughs> Ectoplasm. Like I, I get the whole idea of a guardian looking over him. That was his, his true soulmate. You know, I, I know what you're thinking. Like you're saying, this is, <laughs> this is all dumb shit and made up. Well, Joe thought that too, at least at first. So he brings a tape in because he's like, this, this lady's taking me for a ride. And she's like, that's fine. So he tapes the guide speaking uh, to him and he goes, Hey, Philippa. Um, so I know you're Greek and you got this Greek accent. Why don't you speak to me in Greek? She's like, okay, blah, 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 blah. She spoke, speaks to him in Greek, turns the tape off. So he goes and he takes it to this Dr. George Thaniel. Uh, he was a professor of modern languages at the University of Toronto and a native born Greek. And he's a, he speaks Greek. George, uh, Thaniel, Dr. Thaniel said that the speaker was speaking an old or dead or, or old native Greek dialect from the 1700s. So he's like, one of two things is happening. You're actually talking to a, a ghost or this woman has done her homework. Uh, one of the other, that's kind of cool in and of itself, these recordings. So I, I skipping ahead real quick. One thing that's kind of cool. So there, we told you that Joe is a, uh, he was a journalist. He had tons of research. The university of Manitoba has the Joe Fisher archive. It's got everything he did, including these tapes and stuff. And you can go in there and listen to them. And a lot of it's online. A lot of it isn't, uh, they helped with a lot of this research that we're doing here, but that's kind of crazy that he at least had the wherewithal to go to find this guy. And they're like, yep, that's an old Greek dialect. Now, do, what do we, do we know anything about the channel? Cause we know her, her name wasn't, uh, Philippa, right? No. It was, so okay. we don't even know her real name. She was an Australian Weird. woman okay. living in Canada. Oh, that's right. You said Australian. Okay. So she probably wasn't, well, she could have been Greek. That's okay. Anyway, continue. There were other times. So she used different dialects and stuff. This was just a big one. So Joe's like, wow, time to kick this relationship into overdrive. So he decides he wants <laughs> to be able to talk to her without 
the help of the, uh, the channeler. So he starts daily meditations in attempt to make a mind to mind communication with her. And guess what? He said he made a connection. He could see her and it made him weep. He was just so overcome. There's Philippa and you can see her. So he goes see the channeler next time. And he said like, they're in the room and immediately as soon as she goes in, like someone else is trying to talk and Philippa takes over like, get the hell out of here, Joe, it's me. <laughs> uh, he had told no one about this and right off the bat, Philippa comes out and she's like, we made contact. Thank you. It's so, I'm so happy. We can finally like be together even more. Now we're going off his word there that he had told no one, but, uh, that's kind of crazy. I think he got some of those mushrooms from the Renaissance fair. <laughs> right. Right. Mm. So Joe's got his true love. They're communicating and he's happy. Guess what you do then? Well, you tell your friends and family in the entire world because you're a popular journalist who's also an author. Not a great idea. Not so great. He does this. He goes public with it, with what's happening because he's like we said earlier, he wants the world to know this stuff. He feels now he has proof that there is life outside of this and reincarnation. I don't want to tell any tales at a school here, but spoiler, the media did not take kindly to that type of stuff. Um, so he decides that he's going to make the rounds in Canada on any show that'll have him. Uh, the CBC specifically grilled him on primetime crossfire shows, the show they had. And that event really friends say changed the course of his life. He was, and you can watch this. You can go on, it's on YouTube, viciously mocked and ridiculed by the other participants. Not even so mm. to like a normal way, like. It's tough to watch because they were shitty to him, even as skeptics. They'd be like, well, how do you know this? Well, I know. Idiot! And they just start screaming over top of him. Like, it, it, you feel like you're watching. It just, it, it was bad. They didn't even allow him to form an, you know, his, give them his reasoning before they were crapping on it. Uh, so we got those. And then he was on another show, um, Harper's Bazaar. Something, yeah, you know, they, that one was more of him just going on there and telling his story. And then people are like. I've been reading this guy's stuff and he's crazy. Mm. So yeah. Anyway, much like politics in the news today, not much has changed. They just shit all over you and you don't get your opinion out. <laughs> that bothered him. Surprise, surprise. So then he's like, well, I don't want to do harm to this. So he almost like turns in like a channeling apologist to help defend his experience and his research. And he wants to do this scientifically. So it's time to brush off the old, journalist skills. So he wants to trace these guides back to their previous earthly identities, find proof if they existed, so to speak. He knows info about these. If he can prove that they existed and then prove that what he's been told is true, well, maybe that's going to lend some credence. And I say guides because Philippa wasn't the only spirit guide the Chandler had brought forth to talk to Joe. So supposedly there was a World War II guide bomber pilot named William Alfred Scott that would also talk to him every once in a while. And old Willie said he was of the 99th Squadron Bomber Command. Um, and the, he told him, like, literally all the information. He gave him the name, the squadron, the plane tail number, tons of other details, all this information. So he had been writing all this stuff down. So Joe grabs it all, and he literally took his money that he had and traveled the world tracking leads to see if these guides were telling the truth or if the channeler was telling the truth, trying to track down William Alfred Scott, trying to, to track down Philippa quick recap. Now you, you got an accomplished investigative journalist now claiming he can speak with the dead. People immediately start to call into question his journalistic integrity. So he needs to submit these beliefs to some harsh investigation to either prove them or expose his fraud. All right, time to travel and figure out. And investigation gets underway uh, from England to Greece to everywhere in between. Uh, he goes into trying to prove these guys actually lived. Uh, back to the pilot, the first one, William Alfred Scott of the 99th Squadron Bomber Command. He looked and found that uh, the 99th Squadron Bomber Command existed. The plane she talked about existed. The tail number, every part of it. There was no pilot ever named William Alfred Scott with them or any time in uh, with the, with England as a bomber pilot. Not a great start. 
uh, the other parts are real, but it was just like, you know, anyone could have looked up a little bit of information and said, yeah, yeah, it's me, Pete. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I was, I was in there. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you think that would have right off the bat been like, Ugh, like, okay, I've been had. Mm. Uh, anyway, in Greece, he tracks down the surname Philippa gave him because she, she did have a last name. Well, guess what? There's no proof that anyone with that, that surname has ever lived in Greece. The hometown that Philippa gave him never existed. He's like, crap. Oh, gee. No one, no name, no, no, no town. That guy didn't exist. Now, immediately, wouldn't you guys be like, well, shit, I've been had by this woman? Isn't that exactly where your head goes? Like this Chandler just, just. No, it's, I would double down on trying <laughs> to be right. It's weird to me because, like, if if she somehow knew, like, taught herself an ancient Greek dialect to, like, fool people, even even before the internet, she could have easily looked a a pilot's name up in a book and stolen that name, or looked sure. up a yeah. Greek name in a book and stolen it. So to to be completely wrong on two like two of these accounts, but be able to speak a weird dialect of Greece to like teach yourself one thing but not steal the other. It, it actually is kind of strange. Yeah. I, I might have actually held on to that lie. That's kind of what Joe did in a different way. We're going to tell you about what Joe did and how Joe breaks. That's coming up after the break on uh, hysteria 51. I was watching this one thing they were doing uh, recreations of when he's in Greece and he's like, are you sure there's no one named that? And he's talking to these Greek people. They're like, no, like in their town that way, they're like, there is nothing that way, but olives. <laughs> like, <laughs> what about that direction? It doesn't matter what direction you go to. There's nothing in any direction here. This is the middle of nowhere and no one town, you know, cause he'd looked in the books. He couldn't find it. So he literally traveled to these places to ask the locals and they're like, no son, we're sorry. So well, crap. <laughs> he realized it's a hoax, that part of it. He calls friends from Greece to tell them he'd been had. He was devastated, but he tells the people how scared he is because he's been had by the spirits, not the Chandler. Ooh. He doesn't think that the woman deceived him. The spirits did, David. Isn't that, wow. that's, that's exactly what you thought, right? <laughs> First, first thought. I mean, he he meditates and he sees, you know, uh, hot young girl who is uh, super in love with him. Oh, and, no. oh, yeah, dude. it was just a succubus. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you're right. He 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 does kind of come to a senses, so he makes a smart play, and he goes to see the Chandler again. <laughs> this time, uh, he does it to confront <laughs> Philippa. Uh, and she says, you can't prove the existence of guides because they're not among us. The cha- the Chandler tells him that blah, blah, blah. Meaning like they're not among us. You're not going to be able to do this. He gets angry at the Chandler and everyone else. Uh, she actually says like, literally she told him like, I'm not going to help you. Like you're getting crazy. She got her car to drive away. He like chased her car and then they never saw her again. And they always, it, it's weird to me that she had anonymity, this Chandler, Maybe it's because people blamed her, maybe whatever. Obviously, people were able to track her down. They they spoke to her on different news shows, but um, oh. uh, we don't know uh, exactly this. I- anyway, regardless, so he, that's his first like crazies. He's, he's chasing this woman. But then he also says that she was telling the truth and the spirits are the ones that deceived him. They They could have gotten past all that if they had just said, Oh well, this may be another dimension version, and and this world is on a different timeline, and therefore well, yeah. they didn't exist in your timeline, but they did in mine. But all our spirits are connected, you know. Like they, it's so easy, so easy to keep this going, guys. God, David, were you this channeler? I have a feeling we found the channeler. Well, look at the time. I think I gotta head out of here. There's something <laughs> brewing on the. Pot some bike. <laughs> Oops, got him. Uh, we're gonna go a little dark here because he goes off the deep end. The story turns to some dark aspects. He feels that he was pursuing channeling and trying to. Um, these ghosts were trying to almost ghosts. These whatevers. Um, he was trying to lure them into his life. 
if you believe in this stuff, and many do, what comes knocking isn't always what you want around. Let's say that your son just died, okay, terrible, or your father, anything. And if you believe in this stuff, when you go looking for dad or junior or whatever, a lot of times you'll find dad or junior. But then they say it's not really that person. It's something pretending so that they can get into this realm. Some say that the first thing that the Chandler brought to Joe was dark, pretending to be his guide. Joe kind of felt that also. One of his friends said, when you chase enlightenment, this is crazy. One of four things happen. This is only these four. You achieve enlightenment. You go insane. You turn into a monster or you kill yourself. Holy shit. It's the same advice my dad gave me on my uh, wedding day about getting married. <laughs> Listen, one of four things is going to happen this afternoon. You're going to achieve enlightenment. You're going to go insane. Don't ask why I sound like this. I'm your father. I'm from <laughs> Bristol. <laughs> I'm your spirit guide. I'm here to help you. Come on. <laughs> also, I'd like to talk to the lawyer about some mesothelioma sewage. Uh, I got I got I'm going to have to take some people to court. Anyway, he writes this book, Hungry Ghosts. Uh, uh, Hungry Ghosts is a Tibetan term. Um, He wrote that he blamed himself incessantly about letting this thing into his life because it turned everything dark. Um, He still believed something was out there. He just didn't know what. Oh, so the book came after. Mm -hmm. I was thinking like he wrote the book and then all this. Oh, wow. So he he wrote the book and Hungry Ghosts is kind of about some of these things that happened. His friend said the process of writing the book seemed to unhinge him. Um, He wrote that the spirits out there are not guardian angels, not benign, but people who want into your existence. And others have said, well, that's not really people. You guys have heard of that, right? David, you've heard of this, like these latching ons and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's uh, dark entities. Friends and believers thought he was attacked by what they called a low life ghost who wanted to glom (laughs) onto him and drive him mad by like eating up his joy. He buys kids liquor. Yeah. Hey, hey, you kids. Gambler. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> I said menthol. It, they, <laughs> were these sirens trying to lure him to a death, not with song, but with tales to drive him mad? Or was this just a woman who took him for a ride? What do you guys think? Do you believe that there's ghosts that could have been doing this? Or was this woman just just jacking him over? I don't know what I believe spiritually, but I don't tend to believe that kind of stuff. So I I would lean towards that it was was the woman taking advantage of him. But there's a lot of weird, assuming he didn't lie, because he seemed to believe it completely. So I'm going to take his writing. I will say this. So all the times when he's talking to the Chandler, he's one of like 20, 30 people in the room. You know, there and there's oh, so another. This has pres- been like, yeah, this is in front of lots of people. There, there were other people in the room that were like getting the, also could see Philippa and they they sketched her and things like that. You know, um, others were like, yeah. So at least what he said he was told and happened did happen. Now we can't say that he didn't make up the whole point where he was um, meditating and seeing his love. That part is a little bit, you know, uh, you you know, suspension so- of disbelief. I mean, let's see, imagine that you have come across the, your, your soulmate, the love of your lives, plural Mm -hmm. and 17 and counting. He was told, and it goes on for long enough for you to really buy into it and get toe up about it. And when that is taken away from you, then if he doesn't have um, a way to process that in in a healthy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, in 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 some kind of healthy way to uh, accept it or move on or whatever, maybe it did break him a little bit, right? You know, because he he gets stuck in that. It's almost like stuck in the grief cycle. Stuck on you. <laughs> right yeah uh that's absolutely. funny because i keep thinking hungry ghost <laughs> uh but yeah it's it, it it could do a mental number on him if he completely bought into it and then all of a sudden that rug was just pulled right out from under him mm-hmm. well so up until this point with the whole trying to find out these if these things are real pretty much everything in his life it kind of went his way then he spends 
all his money traveling, trying to, to look into these things. That was kind of the beginning of this downward spiral, the start of it at least. Hungry Ghost comes out and is popular. And Hollywood options Hungry Ghosts and uh, they want to make a movie. And they task him with writing the screenplay. He spends a ton of time not doing other things, writing, uh, working on the screenplay. And then they decide not to option it. They don't do it. So he's like, fuck. So then he gets a teaching job. Uh, he's That's writing. the business, baby. <laughs> he gets a job uh, writing, uh, teaching writing. And he also, during this time, he gotten married. Um, now, I'm, the marriage ends up falling apart probably because she knows that he has a uh, <laughs> a soulmate out there uh, on another plane. Uh, that, so, you know, his teaching job isn't working out. The movie from the book falls apart that he spent all this time on. Then... I told you he was big into nature and stuff. He has a paralyzing back injury. He can still walk, but he can no longer have an active athletic lifestyle. Mm. And he spends a lot of time recuperating and unable to do anything. And he's just in throes of depression. And all this he blamed on this vengeful at that point. Then he turned, he started calling it a demon, pushing him to fail. After all that, though, he still believed the spirits in one way or another, and uh, he starts to take antidepressants, and then he starts to in, to abuse the antidepressants. And spoiler, I don't know if you know, the side effects are anxiety, night terrors, delusions, and pseudo th- suicidal thoughts, oh, pretty much geez. across the board with antidepressants. Are we, are we not at the point in medical science where... A friggin' side effect of an antidepressant is suicide. Well, so I think the, the the problem is twofold. Number one is when you take it regularly, like you're supposed to, that doesn't happen. Uh, when you abuse it, it can. And also when you try to go off, you're supposed to taper yourself off of them. If you quit cold turkey, you can have horrible issues. So he's mm-hmm. like abusing and then stopping and then abusing and then stopping. And that's not helping anything. Jeez. Fast forward to May 9th of 2001. He falls off this cliff at that gorge near his home in Fergus, Ontario. Two hikers find his body uh, that day. But there are two weird pieces that make this stick out that people, that's why we're calling it Was He Murdered by Ghosts? This is what everyone brings up. Uh, they seem off. Even to the police, it seemed off. One is there are skid marks made by his shoes at the site where he fell. Like he fought over or fought, he fought falling over or fought being pushed over by someone or something like dug in and they were his shoes, his shoe tracks. The police noticed this in their investigation. They, uh, they listed the cause as unexplained. Hmm. Now, whether Hmm. he fell or committed suicide, it looked like. He was like running up and goes, nope, and skidded kind of thing, which most people do not do. Number two, there were broken branches all the way down. Like he tried desperately to grab onto anything and he broke several of them on his way down, which the police also said is not indicative of a normal suicide, but there was no one else in the area. Uh, And that is really why his Death is questioned, uh, whether it was really on the up and up or if he was pushed by a ghost metaphysically or literally pushed over the edge of a cliff by a ghost. Sounds like he's pushed over the edge mentally. Yeah, for sure. I was going to, yeah. And I, I don't know. I, sorry, I'm just thinking there's a, there's a book by the comedian Craig Ferguson called, I think it's called like between the bridge and the water. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's about people who have jumped off the uh, Golden Gate Bridge okay. uh, and, and, and attempted suicide. And like it's something like 90% on the way down completely regret their choice instantly. Mm. How do they know? And, and so to, for the police to say that that's not indicative, I don't know. Maybe it isn't. But I feel like there, it's completely logical that he might have jumped yeah. and then instantly regretted it and tried to stop. And You do bring a good point there, David, though. Like, how do they know? Well, some survive you know, which is rare, but right. Like others are just like, I regret this immediately. Like, I'm not making light of it. Like how do I I mean that real? Is it 90% of the survivors? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. He didn't connect with ghosts and (laughs) ask them 90% of the, the few survivors. I, I, and I'm, my numbers are probably wrong with that, but it was a, a fair, a fair majority that, that regretted it. Um, and were glad that they had survived. Wow. 
Yeah. I, I mean, if you survive something like that, you're going to be effed up from the from the meffed up. Uh, like, yeah, you would <laughs> you would regret <laughs> doing it and either not you know going all the way through and and dying mm. and and I I mean I I can't imagine you wouldn't regret doing that and then being like wow I'm my body's pretty messed up right, right. now I wish I hadn't <laughs> right. done that yeah uh, but you know I I get what you're saying I just there are I'm I'm thinking I'm awful at thinking of these scenarios I've decided because like I I'm thinking he could have shuffled up to the edge in in depression, you know, like just drug his feet. Right. And, well, it and, was like the heel, so it looked like he was trying to stop. How yeah. do they know it was the heel? Uh, because like, of the impression of the shoe, I guess. You know, you can they can they can. We've come that far in and, <laughs> in, in compression uh, sure, or, or guess, impression but, technology. I guess I I don't know. I don't know. And you mentioned it, like maybe maybe there was like a thought. I'm gonna run and just jump off this this cliff, mm-hmm. and then he he gets maybe ten feet from it. And he's like, I can't do this. This is dumb. And he tries right. to stop himself and can't. Mm-hmm. Right. He's a man who was pushed to the edge and literally, and then jumped. mentally. Yeah, me- right. Oh right. no, you you mean physically? Physically and mentally both. Like, but well, no, I'm sorry. But- Let me say that again because it came out wrong. He was pushed <laughs> the edge mentally, and then he uh, probably jumped yeah. off the the edge because he was literally at an edge. Like he didn't. He he. To the best of your knowledge, he never had any sort of a claim that that the spirits were attacking him. Be previous to this. Well, he he question. thought that they were absolutely attacking him. He thought he was. Well, out, he thought he they blamed, were messing with his life. But yeah, not, he blamed all of not his trying bad to fortune kill on. him though. Right. Right. Yeah, um, he, I meant physically, like attacking him. No, you know like him. he wasn't saying, "Oh, I got scratches and things that I'm aware." Or he of. was right. scared that they that you know, or got, got paranoid or something. Maybe like that's a right. good point, Dan. Like you know, was there any prior um, indication that that something like this would might happen? Also, uh, the broken branches is a weird uh, detail to me because it's like, well. If a body is just falling through the tree line, it's going to break some branches. Uh, he had, he had anyway. uh, lacerations on his hand where he had grabbed at them. Sure, and, hands can hit uh, <laughs> limbs yeah, as I mean, well. Yeah, as he had, like <laughs> they had, they can say for sure one way or another. Like he, so here's a, a horrible thing, Dan. I think it might have been before you were there. Do you remember when the guy was on acid and jumped out of the? Uh, that six, was pre. That was like I think the year or two before I got there. In yeah, college, I, a guy jumped out of the 16th floor of one of our dorms, and uh, it was that bulletproof tempered glass. He broke it somehow. He wanted out and jumped, and he mm-hmm. tried to catch himself on the way down, and it ripped his arm off. Oh wow! And he fell and hit right in front of a friend of mine. Literally right in front of a friend of mine. Oh, anyway, terrible. Um, and that wasn't like a suicide attempt. That was just I'm I'm on drugs and. Anyway, going back to channeling real quick, is there anyone in your head that Joe was actually talking to the dead or just some grifter eager to take him for a ride? The grifter being the channeler. It sure sounds like a ride to me. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, it's one of those things where like that's really interesting, but I, I everything right. seems to point to he just he wanted to believe so desperately. Yeah, yeah. So in, yeah, you you can become purposely blind. You can only. Where you can choose to see what you want to see. The important prerequisite with any of this stuff is belief. If you don't believe Mm -hmm. in some way in the beginning, it's not going to work. If you do believe in channeling, they say the things that can come are your unconscious can form something separate from you, something dark, nothing. (laughs) Even the people that believe in channeling are like, it's bad voodoo kind of, or juju or whatever you want to call it. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, uh, that's a, a dangerous toy to be playing with. Even if you have mental issues, it can lead you down this, this road. Like Joe was Joe killed by ghosts or grief. Probably grief. Uh, demons do exist, but demons come in, in many shapes and forms, not just demonic and en- entities. That demon can be depression. It can be alcohol. It can be drugs. It can be a uh, significant other that doesn't care about you, you know, and, uh, they stack up. They stack up, and I think we saw someone. He had a lot of a lot of bad stuff go on all at once, too. Mm-hmm. And like we said, mm-hmm. he had such success that his life kind of did a one eighty. Or maybe he was killed tight. by ghosts, and we're just being dumb, and they're going like, "Good, good." 
you know, I think he got into this enough to where he he believed it himself, and that's why he thinks he might have seen something while he was meditating himself. Right. You know, you can get that into it. I think where you can um, convince yourself that yes, you are you are participating in this too, and and you don't need the channeler anymore. And and going back to like the the one hang up with the channeler is the uh, dialect of the old Greek, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Which if, who's to say she didn't just learn it or knew it? Or well, something. here's the thing: like it sounded like he had been going to her for multiple visits by that time. The very first visit, Philippa came out, but yeah, I don't think the first visit right. was the old. But Greek. the the when he asked her to speak in Greek to him, this was after a few visits. Mm-hmm. If this woman, mm-hmm. uh, if this if if this woman created this character of Philippa to mess with him, keep him coming back. Um, I think it stands to reason that she would do some homework to at least come up with a phrase or two that she could memorize that would, you know, if it came up. And, uh, well, and, uh, interesting you say that and when they translated, it was the cheese is old and moldy. Where is the bathroom? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I just channeled someone from, I don't know, Tenochtitlan. Oh man! You see what I'm saying? Like after after she's created this um, scenario, then she's she's tasked with uh, uh, making sure she covers her own ass with it in case of contingencies. And then one of these contingencies came up. I covered my own ass. (laughs) And and he asks, and she says, "You know what? Sure, I've already prepared for this. Here you go." Mm -hmm. And you know. Maybe he follows up, maybe he doesn't, but she's got a bank on him not following up. Right. Else, why would she just disappear into the night, you know, when all this comes comes to a head? Real quick, Giorgio, you've been kind of quiet this whole time. Do you think it was a ghost? If you look at all the pieces, it's the only conclusion that you can draw. That makes sense. I, yeah. I believe that. Yeah. I'm sold. Thank you, Giorgio. Sorry, we didn't I think, get I think what we show. have here is uh, is a spiritual version of a man believing that a Hooters waitress is in love with him. <laughs> wow. She, uh, she put a heart on the Perfect. eye of the names. You know she loves me. <laughs> All by two, two hearts myself. for Philippa. <laughs> Each P was a heart. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, kids. I don't know. Um, this one just feels like a man who, who went down a, a dark path to us. But it doesn't matter what we think. It matters what you guys think. You can tell us by going to Hysteria Nation and letting us know. Hop on Facebook. Search Hysteria Nation. Let us know your thoughts. While you're on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash hysteria51pod. You can now listen to Hysteria 51 while you're cruising around all the hate and slap memes about Will Smith and everything on the world. So that's fun. Tweet to us at hysteria51pod. Go to the brand new website, hysteria51.com. You can leave your voicemails from there. Let us know what's going on, or you can call us the old-fashioned way. Uh, if you got into freaking, you can freak to us. So that's a if you've been listening to David's extra so you know what I'm talking about. There, seven seven three six six nine seven two seven seven. Again, seven seven three six six nine seven two seven seven. Can they uh, contact you through a channeling session? Well, yes, but only on Friday mornings. So those <laughs> ones are harder to find. But if you can, and uh, also real quick, only for- soulmates. For those of you that's been waiting for my weekly metaphysical challenge, it's thank you very much. Okay, so Dan, <laughs> Dan, what you got <laughs> going on, man? You, uh, you yeah, I got and- the second season of my podcast is coming out. I have a podcast called The Extra Mundane with Max Ward that I think if you're a fan of this show, you'll enjoy. I play the titular Max Ward. Uh, he's sort of an Art Bell type character, and I interview, uh, I have improv comedians come on, and I interview creatures from the paranormal. Yeah, this sounds right up your alley, David. I think you would love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we got Patty the Bigfoot coming on. We have uh, Whitley Strebers on, and uh, the Jersey Devil we interviewed this season, <laughs> so I'm really excited. If any nice. of them sound like uh, me, you know it's true. I'm just channeling that. Oh, it's me, <laughs> the Jersey Devil. <laughs> I'm your soulmate. <laughs> that or <laughs> speed buggy. <laughs> Those, that's about the the end of my impersonation. So yeah, David, uh, <laughs> you got anything going on over there in the blurry photos universe? Cracked open uh, season eleven uh, recently Ooh. with uh, Bur- the Burke and Hare murders. That was a fun episode. The burnt um, hair murders. 
Burke. Burke <laughs> and <laughs> Oh, it smells. Oh. oh man. It's just the Salem witch trials. Yeah. Um <laughs> But uh yeah, blurryphotos.org, find all that. Uh doing quizbangpod.com. Do some trivia if you want some trivia. Um and we're coming along with the uh the old film. Um yeah. actually I got a meeting here in, in about an hour to to go over a uh, our first cut of the film. <laughs> Very nice. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. And uh, yeah, that's uh, so. Dan, David uh, started doing a documentary right at the beginning of COVID. They did a oh, successful no. Kickstarter, and then the world went. Just kidding. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah, the so, demons they came after you. I know yeah. it wasn't the world. It was those. It, well, the the. <laughs> The, uh, the name of his director is Philippa. Uh, she's a metaphysical director. They're working on a new kind of oh thing. Oh, my God. I didn't put it together. <laughs> what, what's your documentary about? It's about the the Anza Borrego uh, Desert and um, Southern California and all the crazy paranormal stuff that goes on there. Nice. It's about the Circle K outside of uh, Waterloo, Iowa. It's, you know what's uh, funny? There's, there was a, there's a Circle K in... Um, Anza, California. I believe it's a Circle K, yeah. but they were like, you know, we we talked to some locals around there, and they were like, well, if anything's going down, it's probably going down at the Circle K. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yes. And we were like, life imitates art. Well, strange things are afoot. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, kids, that's been our thoughts on the life and death of Mr. Joe Fisher. With that said, I've been Brent. I've been David. I've been Dan. It was terrible. It was just terrible. That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. We'll be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite, join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.